Okay, friends, let's go ahead and wrap up our conversations and make our way back to our seats. We're going to jump into God's Word together. So fun uh, seeing us so eager to connect and be a family. That's what we desire and long for here as a church. Come on in and have a seat. Uh, So uh, thrilled for the opportunity this morning to get to share with you. My name's Andy. I'm the executive pastor here at the church. And today we're going to be bringing the current sermon series that we've been in to a close, which is called You Deserve It All. And we're fully expecting that as we dive into God's word, and we're going to do a lot of unpacking scripture and looking at different texts and, and inviting God to allow the words of the page to really come to life and really bring about transformation and change. We are fully expecting for what, what God's going to accomplish uh, in and through us here this morning and, and what a joy it is to be able to, to help bring that to you. We've been in this series and it's been uh, it called You Deserve It All. And really that's what the goal of this series has been is encouraging us and leading us to a place that with all of our lives, with everything that we do more and more, we're living in alignment with that truth that God, you deserve it all. A couple of weeks ago, Travis talked about a, a woman that we find in Matthew 26 who had encountered the Lord. He completely transformed her life. And her only response was to, to break this bottle of perfume and anoint his head and his feet. And to, as, so as to say, my whole hope, my whole future, I give unto you. You have changed everything. You deserve it all, Jesus. And people in her presence were indignant. But what Jesus said is that what she had done was a, was a beautiful thing. Last week, we learned about how God is the God who provides if we are going to be a people who live out that calling, live out the banner of you deserve it all, we first need to know that God is a God who provides. He cares for us. He meets us in our need. And as God led Abraham to into a very difficult test, a very challenging test to sacrifice his son, it says on the mountain of the Lord, in the place of obedience, it will be provided. And, and we as a people uh, need to, to believe and know that in all ways, in all things, God is a God whose heart is for us uh, to provide. Today, we're going to get more practical and we're going to talk about what does it actually look like in our lives to live out this banner word, you deserve it all. And we're going to do that by looking at the spiritual discipline of tithing. Now, I would say it, it, uh, in terms of uh, my preference for when, when we would deliver this message, Given what we're currently facing as a church and some of the financial hardships that we have shared about over the last couple of weeks, this is not my preferred time to give this message, though I would say that I, I am eager and excited to give this message, to be able to talk about this. I got a couple jokes after the last message. You're like, oh, Andy, you guess you drew the short straw or you lost rock, paper, scissors. You're, talking, you're the guy talking about tithing when the church is in a financial struggle. But the, the, the reality is I actually asked for this. I said, I would love to be able to speak to this. God has put a, a burning conviction on my heart for generosity ministry and to be the, for the people of God to rise up and give unto the mission of God going forward so that his purposes can be accomplished in this room and outside this room for his glory and his fame. And so I am eager to be able to, to, be able to share this uh, with you here this morning. Um, the, the other thing I would say is my goal in sharing this is not, my ultimate goal is not to get more people to give to the church. That's not my primary motivation. If as the word of God goes forward and you feel conviction and you feel like there's adjustments or changes that you need to make in life and your financial decisions, then amen. That's, that's awesome. But, but really what my hope is and our hope is, is that we as the people of God, 
who say, God, we want you, we want this to be a place where you dwell. We want to belong to you and our, all of our lives to, to be unto you and be yours. We want to be just as surrendered in our finances as we are in every other part of life. If we are called to help facilitate or help usher in revival, I believe that every part of life needs, God needs to have space and place to put his finger on any part of us that it would be unto him and, and, more, and belong to him all the more. And so towards that end, I actually want to invite you to, to join me in something. As if we are saying, yeah, God, we want to be more and more surrendered to you, I would love for us to take a step to demonstrate that. If you feel comfortable, if, if you would join me. And I love um, for, for the men in the room, you reach into your back pocket and grab your wallet. And for the ladies, if, if maybe it's in your pocket or maybe it's in your purse, but I'd love for you to, to pull out your wallet and I'd love for you to hold it in your hand like this. Hold it in, in your hand with, with an open hand. And this is not me gonna ask you to take any action or give anything right now. I just want you to, to feel the weight of, of your wallet in your hand and feel the, the, and think about what's inside of it. Think about the cash and think about the cards and the accounts and the dollars it represents. And if we are saying, God, we want to be surrendered in this place. This is, this is, this is not, this part of life is not off limits to you. If we're saying that that's the type of people that we want to be, then I just ask you to, to continue to hold it, hold it loosely, hold it with enough pressure to keep it up, but not so much that you are, are clamoring over it or not willing to, to make any adjustments or changes. Hold it loosely. And if God would still lead you, I just invite you to, to pray this prayer to yourself with me. God, you have permission to speak into this area of my life. This area of my life is not off limits. I invite you and give you 100% authority and permission to guide and direct what I do with this. I want what you want because what you want is always best. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me in that. You guys can put your, your wallets away. And, and today what we are gonna do is what we're gonna, we're gonna explore the tithe as an Old Testament principle. The reason that God uh, it charged his people to practice it, what are some of the underpinnings for, for the, the function that the tithe had in the Old Testament people of God, and then look to see, do those same principles, do those same underpinnings translate into the New Testament? Do they still apply to us today? Okay, so we're going we're gonna to be looking at a lot of different passages of scripture. So pull out your Bible, grab your phone. The verses are going to be on the screen for you to be with us and, and to, to read along. And the, um, the last thing I'll say is this, before we look at the first passage, that I know that not only in this time is the is the church feeling the pinch financially? But I know many of us as individuals are feeling it as well. And you might say, well, this is kind of the wrong time to be talking about money. But in fact, I think it's actually the perfect time to be talking about money because when things get hard and things are tough, it's, it, it, would, it would be our temptation to want to, to maybe pull back or to control or to, or to protect. And this is actually the, the perfect time to say, God, even in my times of challenge, even in my difficulties, I want to look to your word and give you the authority to guide and direct what I do. Okay, so the first place we're going to be is in Leviticus uh, 
27. And again, we're looking for that. We're going to be looking at three truths, three principles that guide why the Old Testament was commanded of God's people and what function it played in, in, in their lives as, as worship. Okay, so Leviticus 27, verse 30 and 32. This is what it says. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd, of, herd and flock, every 10th animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. And so here in Leviticus, we see God instituting the practice of the tithe, where the people of God were expected before they enjoyed and consumed the harvest, before they enjoyed and consumed the fruitfulness from the land, they were expected to give a portion of it back to God. And, and not just any portion, not just a random amount, but actually a very specific amount. That word tithe is the Hebrew word ma'ase, and that mean, literally means one-tenth or 10%. So God is instructing them to give the first 10% back to him. But there are two phrases that I, I want us to highlight here in terms of th that we see show up as God is delivering this command to his people. We don't see, what we don't see is a, a, a functional purpose given. We don't see the, 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 what that money or what that, that, that provision is intended to be used for. What we see are two phrases. First is, it belongs to the Lord. And the second phrase is holy to the Lord. Bring the tithe to me, it belongs to the Lord. And what that I believe is speaking of is this timeless truth that bring it to me because it belongs to me so as to indicate that actually all things belong to me. You're gonna give your 10% to me in a specific way to acknowledge that all things belong to me in a general way. So this is a signal to that. This is affirming that, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In fact, that's what we see in Psalm 24, verse one, that very phrase, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, the second phrase is holy to the Lord. For something to be holy to the Lord, is, is, it is a, a designated uh, object or a person set aside, given unto God, at God to be at God's disposal, to be at his disposal for his purposes. God, you can do unto this however you want. So as to say, that person or that thing, it belongs to you. It is truly yours. And so both phrases, belongs to the Lord and holy to the Lord, is signaling to us that first and foremost, the tithe does not start with us. And it does not start with what the tithe is used for. It starts with God. It is a place of agreement and alignment with the truth that everything that we have, everything that they had, all the provision that they received, it, it was from God. And the giving that acknowledges that he is the source and their provider. So that's the first truth. The tithe affirms that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Number two, the second principle we see as an underpinning of the tithe is that the tithe is how God provided for those he called to facilitate worship, care for his people, and care for his house. The tithe is how God provided for those he called to care for his house, his people, and to facilitate worship. Numbers 18 Numbers 18, verse 21, and then 24 through 29 say this. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. Instead, I give, now verse 24, instead I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. That is why I said concerning them, they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. 
The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. Your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor or juice from the winepress. In this way, you will also present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. And you must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given to you. So not only is the tithe meant to, be, um, to acknowledge a solemn, timeless truth that all things are his, but it actually had a very functional purpose in caring for the Levites. And for us to really understand this, to wrap our minds around this, we need to go back in history a little bit and understand the promise that God gave to his people. His promise to them was for a place. He gave that promise to Abraham and that promise, it got extended throughout all the generations. And then when God was leading the people of God out of Egypt, through the wilderness and into the promised land, he assigned that 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 land, which Abraham knew as Canaan, which we know today as Israel, that land was to be divided amongst all of the tribes. Each of the 12 tribes had an allotment of land and that was their place to live. It was their place to experience provision. It was their place to be fruitful and multiply. It was their, their, that was their place and their territory to enjoy the fruitfulness of the land, to plant and to harvest and to enjoy the fruits of the trees and to have livestock and, and, and animals and to earn a living. Every single tribe had a space and a place to do this, all except for one, the Levites. They did not have a territory of land that belonged to them. They did not have a a place and a way for them to to make money and, and earn a living. Instead, God gave them a different inheritance. And their inheritance was to be, to serve in God's house and to care for God's people and to facilitate worship unto the Lord. And so they were scattered throughout all the towns and villages and their job was musicians and craftsmen. And they're the ones who, who to, to help build, ultimately build the temple. And they're the ones who received the tithes and received the offerings and facilitated worship in that environment. And so the Levites, they did not, because they did not have access to money-making means like everybody else, this is how they were provided for. This is how God cared for them and gave them what they needed is from the tithes. And not only did they receive the tithe, and live off of that and enjoy that. But they tithed as well. They took the, 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 the best and the holiest portion of whatever they received from all the tribes and they gave it unto the Lord as well. So as to live in agreement with the fact that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the second principle we see as, as an underpinning of the tithe is that that's how God cared for those who cared for his people. Okay? So that's the second thing. And the third thing is this. The tithe was how God's people put their trust and hope in his continued provision. And a a passage that many of us are familiar with is Malachi chapter three. I'd love to to read that together. Well, I'll read it for you and you can read along. Um, Malachi three, verses eight through 12. This is what it says. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, 
says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God had called his people unto himself. He had given them instructions on how to live faithfully unto him. One of those instructions was, to, was the tithe. And by living in faithfulness to God, God said, I want my hand to rest upon you. I want you to be blessed and I want you to bless you to such a degree that all the other nations around will see that the God that you worship is the one true God. But I can't do that until you obey me and to you fulfill what I've asked of you. And that's to bring the whole tithe into the house. And I don't know if it was, they weren't bringing any of it or they were only bringing a portion of it, but we know that they were not bringing all of it. They weren't bringing all of what they ought to, to the Lord. And so God rebuked them and he challenged them. And he even said, I'm test me in this walk by faith and believe that if you will bring the whole thing to me, that I will not open up the storehouses of heaven and provide for you and supply for you everything that you need. And so that is the third underpinning of the, of the tithe in the Old Testament. It was God, the way that God's people expressed their, their hope and their faith in God's continued provision uh, in their lives. Now, this is Old Testament. We are a New Testament people. We're a new covenant people. So then my, my next question is in ex exploring this is are there New Testament parallels does the New Testament affirm all of these truths? Does it, the, in the New Testament, do we find that all these foundational aspects that really undergird the reason why the tithe was commanded, do we find them there? And I will give you the bottom line up front and I will say, yes, we do. We find all of them there and we're gonna, we're gonna look at them one by one, each parallel. So number one, what we find in the New Testament is the New Testament affirms that God is the creator, owner of, and true source of our provision. We see that in the old and we see that in the new. Now, certainly this is a, this is a timeless truth that, that, that even wisdom, the wisdom literature would suggest that it is proper to acknowledge that God is creator and we are created. And therefore the most natural, the most natural conclusion to that is that, yeah, everything that we have belongs to God. But just for the sake of argument, I said, okay, well, what is the new, does the New Testament explicitly talk about this? And there's this um, passage I was studying out of Acts 14 that I'd love to share with you. I'll set it up just by sharing a little bit of context and then we'll dive into the, the passage. Paul and Barnabas are uh, on their church planning mission and they are reaching out to a community of people in the Greco-Roman world and specifically that this, this group of people believed in, in Greek mythology and worshiped Greek gods. They come to them to share the gospel of Jesus. And not only do they communicate the gospel, but they illustrate the gospel by laying their hands on someone and that person is healed. The people are amazed. They are like, wow, this is incredible. But then they take their amazement and they, instead of worshiping the God of Paul and Barnabas, they begin worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And they come to bring to them gifts and an offering and sacrifices and they start calling them Zeus and, and Hermes. They say, you are, you are the gods here on earth. And, and Paul and Barnabas are, no, no, we are not gods. We're, we are just like, I'm just like me and you. It is the one true God that you're looking for. And that's where I want us to, to pick up this passage. Acts 14, uh, starting in, in verse uh, 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? Why are you giving us sacrifices? Why are you bringing us uh, offerings and, and gifts as if we are God? We, are, we too are only human like you. 
We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he, God, let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has testified to himself about who he is. He has shown kindness by giving you all peoples rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Verse 15, God is the creator. He is the one who made all of our provision and therefore he is the true owner of all of our provision. And therefore he is the, he is the one who gives all of our provision. And then he has testified to himself that he is the God who provides. He is the God who supplies all of our needs by giving all people, not just believers, not just Jewish people and not just Christians, giving all people rain from the sky and, and the, the, the bountiful crops from the land and filling our plates and our hearts uh, with joy because of his provision. The New Testament affirms that we should see all the stuff we have in the same way that the Old Testament people were to see all the stuff that they had as, as coming from God. Now, I just want to hang out here for a moment because I think this is a, a foundational, a foundational truth that we need to, uh, that we need to cherish. In the Old Testament, so much of their provision came th through activity that was outside of their control. You know, they plant seeds in the ground, but they can't make it rain. And they can't make the sun shine. They actually can't, there's an invisible force, an invisible activity that's outside of their control that causes the crops to grow. So maybe for us, we think, well, yeah, certainly no wonder they thought it was from God because, because that's, in terms of agriculture, yeah, there's another force at play that's outside the control of human hands. But in our day, perhaps, I wonder, I actually think that even our world would suggest that we think that we are the reason for our own provision. We live in a more sophisticated society and money-making opportunities are more have, have to do with our involvement and more at the power of our hands. And so we might be tempted to think that what we have actually is ours, but it's not. You may think, well, Andy, it's my job. It's my job. I do the work and I get, I get paid for it. It's my job. Or it was my opportunity that I saw, or, or this thing opened up for me, or this person, had, I had a connection and, and I used my network to access this, you know, th this money-making opportunity. Or maybe it was the decision you felt that you made or your own faculties that are able, enabling you to make the money that you do. But can I just say, you're, you have your job because God opened the door for you to have that job. And you have access to that, that, those money-making opportunities because God's hand has blessed you and has given you favor in that realm. Or maybe you think it was, it was my decision or something that I did or my skills that enabled me to have what I have. But guess what? You didn't make you. God made you. He gave you your skills and, his, and your abilities. And he's the one who gave you your faculties. And he was the one who led you and, and guided you in making those decisions. So very much, we need to hold that truth that what we have is not ours. And what we have is not because of us. We ought not to take credit for the things as if we are the owners of what we have, but, I, but live in the same type of acknowledgement that the Old Testament and New Testament people of God were expected to have. God, all that I have and all that I am truly comes for you comes from you. Amen. I just got to, I, I want to read this passage to you guys. I found it, I uh, came across it the other day and it just, 
oh, I just hit home and I just, I have to, I have to share it. Deuteronomy, I know it's Old Testament, but there's a, there's a timeless thing in it for us as well. Deuteronomy 8, verses 10 through 18. God is warning his people, when you enter into the promised land, you're going to be tempted to, to, to take credit for what you have. And I want you to remember that what you have is because of me. He says this, when you have eaten, I don't think it's actually up on the screen, but I'm just going to read it to you. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord, your God, for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, if you forget, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, if you don't honor me and think of me and know that it's from me, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that, that thirsty and waterless, waterless land with its venomous, venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock um, and he gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Our generation, our people need to hear this word, that he gives us the ability to produce the wealth that we have. And so, yes, does the New Testament affirm what the Old Testament says, that everything belongs to, the God, to our God? Yes, 100% it does. Okay, second, second parallel that we see in the New Testament that echoes the old. Number two, God uses giving from his people. He uses the giving from his people to provide for those who are serving the church as ministers of the gospel. That's how God cares for and provides for those who are called to serve in his house and care for his people and be ministers of the gospel. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 7 through 14. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? And so here we see an Old Testament truth being brought over into the New Testament and being recommunicated and reaffirmed as part of the way that we ought to live as believers. Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right, of support from you. Shouldn't we have it all the more? We, who, the ones who planted this church and established this church and continue to serve as elders and overseers of this church. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the, hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar. Again, a nod to an Old Testament practice. In the same way, the Lord has commanded, he has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So in the same way that the Levites, 
those who are called by God to facilitate worship in God's house, receive their provision from the tithes and offerings of the, of the people of God. So too are those who serve in God's house as ministers of the gospel supposed to receive their provision from the people of God. And number three, God's continued provision comes to those who put their hope in him. And that hope is expressed through giving. We saw that in the old where God was challenging. He said he was challenging the people of God, bring the whole thing into the house and see if I will not provide. Well, we see a similar challenge here in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, I, I don't want to overextend the promise by saying if you, that there's a, some sort of formula, that if you give a little and you'll get a certain amount back, or if you give a lot, you'll, you, God will make you rich. I don't believe that that's what this is saying. But I do believe that there is a principle embedded in this passage of scripture that echoes the same challenge that God gave to his people. If you will put your hope and your trust in me in your generosity, then I will abundantly supply and meet all of your needs. And he uses the analogy of sowing and reaping. If you sow just a little bit of seed, you'll reap a little bit of a harvest. If you sow abundantly, then you, you reap an abundant harvest, not as a formula, but as an expression of faith in God honoring those who walk in faith and put their trust and hope in him. This is similar to what we see uh, Paul talk about in Philippians 4, where he's encouraging the church and thanking them for their generosity towards his ministry. And when he says, I am so excited, church, not because of that I have what I need. I am excited because it's going to be credited to your account. And he uses that phrase, credit to your account. And that credit is a credit of faith. You have put your faith and hope in God and that God will meet your needs. And it says that I, I, I am encouraged because your account has been credited and my God will meet all of your needs according to the glorious riches that are found in Christ Jesus. So that's, and that's not just a spiritual blessing. I believe it's a material blessing as well. And so in all facets, the Old Testament practice of tithing and the underpinnings that really establish that and the purpose for which it is given very much translate to us as New Testament believers. But then you may say, okay, Andy, that's great. Tracking with you, all makes sense pretty much. I feel, you know, I feel good about this. But at the end of the day, what, how much do I actually give? When I actually go to make my gift to God and to the church, what do I actually give? And perhaps some of you may be even asking, do I have to give or am I expected to give the 10%? And I think my question in response to, I have a, my response to that question is a question. And my question is this, why do we ask? Why, why are we asking that question? If we are hoping to learn more about what generosity is supposed to look like because we genuinely don't know and we're just, we want God to lead us and guide us and you're looking for, for help, then amen. Then that's a great question to ask. But if we're asking for that question, am I expected to give that 10%? If we're asking that question and have any sort of underlying hope or expectation that we will be somehow re, um, relieved of that 
of that expectation or somehow looking for justification to not give at that level, then I just want to say that I think we're starting off on the wrong foot altogether. I don't think that's the right way to be asking that question or the, even the right heart, heart attitude to have as we ask that question. In the New Testament, we see, give, we see believers give abundantly. We see them give sacrificially. We see them give joyfully and eagerly. They were, they were looking for opportunities to care for each other's needs and care for God's house. They weren't looking for opportunities to be relieved from that expectation. They weren't looking to, to get away with giving as little as possible. And so I just want to challenge, if I could, I want to challenge that the, if we're asking that question, then we're not, and we're asking it for those reasons, then we may not be asking it in the right way. But if we are asking that question and we genuinely, genuinely want to know, here's what I would say. Does the New Testament command that we have to give at least 10% of our income to God in the church? Does it explicitly command that? No, it does not. But at the same time, it does not, also does not give justification or release us in any way, shape, or form to give any less than 10% either. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't say, yeah, you have permission to, to give less. In fact, what we see in the New Testament is giving expressed as above and beyond, as sacrificial, as all the more. And I'd like to, to walk through five different um, truths that we see in the New Testament that, that speak to the habit of giving and what we can learn for, from that and apply it to our lives today. Number one, while we focus a lot on the fact that the Old, Test, Old Testament people of God gave 10% of their income or their, of their provision to the Lord, the truth is, in reality, they actually gave quite a bit more. Because not only were they giving the regular tithe, which was the tithe that was given to care for the Levites and care for God's house, they also gave what was called a festival tithe, which was the, the tithe that they collected for the celebration of different feasts that they would put on. They also gave a charity tithe to care for the alien, to, to, to care for the outcast, to care for the widow, to care for the orphan. All summed up, the scholars agree that the, the Old Testament people of God probably gave closer to 22 to 23% of their income to the Lord. That's not even accounting for their offerings over and above that, their grain offerings and fellowship offerings, their guilt offering and their sin offering, the things that they would do as individual worshipers to bring that to God. And my, my, my point is this, historically, the people of God have, have learned to live on much less than 90%, probably much closer than, probably much closer to 75%. So let's keep that in mind as we ourselves are seeking to make that decision and, and determine what should our regular giving to God look like. Number two, even though there are far fewer explicit commands in the New Testament, especially with regards to giving, the expectations in the New Testament are greater than the old. The expectations for righteousness and for living are even greater in the New Testament than the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you say, we are told not to murder. In the New Testament, Jesus says, even if you have hatred in your heart, it's, it's, it's tantamount to murder. The Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. In the New Testament, Jesus says, even if you have lust in your heart, it's as if you've been unfaithful to your wife. The expectations are higher, not, uh, not because necessarily we have more commands, but because the expectation is not merely for an external activity, but an internal heart attitude as we perform the activity. There's something that we are meant to have on the inside 
not just on the outside. And so, yes, the expectations in the New Testament are, are, the, are even greater. And why would we think that in the area of giving, would it, it would be any less? Why would we think that in the area of finances, would that expectation be even less? Number three, as an example of this, Jesus affirms the practice uh, of tithing and affirms that it should be continued, but it says that the deeper virtues of the heart matter even more. The deeper virtues of the heart matter even more. And we see this in Matthew 23, 23. Jesus, he rebukes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees when he says, you give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without, without neglecting the former. Jesus is saying, don't stop tithing, but you guys are jerks. Like you're not, your hearts are, are not kind and loving towards people. And so, yeah, don't stop doing that, but you need an internal heart transformation because what you, how you behave and how you treat people is not in alignment with the heart of God. He's saying tithing isn't what makes you righteous. Righteousness is much deeper than that. Righteousness is an inside out kind of living that where we express and bear the image of God in everything that we say and everything that we do. So that was number three. Number four, almost every time we see giving celebrated or challenged in the New Testament, especially by Jesus, it's not merely the 10% offering or not merely the 10% tithe. Every time we see it spoken of or challenged or communicated, it's always a sacrificial type of giving, a sacrifice unto God and sacrifice for the sake of others. In Matthew 19, Jesus invites the rich young ruler to sell all of his possessions, to sell everything and, and, and give it to the poor to follow him. Not because that's necessarily commanded of all of us, but because Jesus could see in his heart and see that his wealth was gonna keep him from true obedience. In Mark 12, Jesus celebrates the poor widow who only has two copper coins and she puts both of them in the, in the collection box in the temple. And all these other people are coming by and are giving way, way more than that. And he says, actually, she gave more than everybody else because she gave out of her poverty. She gave out of her need, not out of her abundance. That type of sacrifice is what is celebrated and of course, what we talked about earlier, Matthew 26, where the woman who had, been, who had encountered the Lord and her life was completely changed, she poured out her, her bottle of perfume, her life savings, her hope, her future. She said, Jesus, you're worth all of it. And what Jesus says is that what she has done is a beautiful thing. It is a righteous thing. It is a good thing. Every time we see giving talked about, challenged, in the New Testament, it's not merely a 10%. It's an above and beyond sacrifice. And number five, and this is what's stirring in my heart, even as we were singing this morning, that God as our example has gone first and has demonstrated for, to us what true giving and generosity looks like because God gave us his first and best, not his last and leftovers. Jesus, the firstborn of a new creation, his only begotten son, someone treasured and cherished by his heart, said, I will do anything. I will pay any price to win my people back to me. Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, not because he was looking forward to death, but because he knew that the life it would create in all of us who believe. 
It was with a joy in his heart that he laid down his life. He joyfully gave us his first and best, not begrudgingly gave us his last and leftovers. That's not how God loves us. And we are meant to follow his example. We are meant to bear his image. We are meant to live in a way that others would say, that's what God is like. There's so much more I, I could say or wanna say on this topic. But I think I'll, I'll close with this. Do I believe that New Testament believers should give at least 10% or more of their income to God in the church? Yes, I do 100%. But not because it is an explicit command in the New Testament, but because it is a spiritual discipline that keeps me and keeps us tethered to the timeless truths of God's word. It keeps us tethered to the truth that all things belong to God. It keeps us tethered to the reality that God has always forever used his people to care for those he's called to serve in his house. It, it keeps me tethered to walking by faith and trusting that he is my hope and my provider for the future. It keeps me tethered to the reality that, that, that actually the new, in the New Testament believer, we're called to sacrifice and it establishes a healthy rhythm in my life to set the stage for above and beyond giving over, over that. And it keeps me connected to the reality that God gave me his first and best, not last and leftovers. I do it and I believe in it and I would promote it until my very last day because I believe it is a healthy practice for all of us to stay connected to those things, to stay connected to his heart. And just like any other spiritual discipline that I live by, it's not because it's, it's written to us letter for letter, word for word in the New Testament. That's actually, truthfully, that's not how the New Testament comes to us. The New Testament comes to us as lay your life down, be born again, be filled with the Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to lead you into loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength and loving others as yourself. That's how the New Testament comes to us. And there are some commands specifically provided, but really that's what it looks like. I follow spiritual disciplines, not because they're commanded, but because I know that they're good for my heart and they're good for my life. And they ultimately lead to my flourishing and thriving. I spend time with God every single day because I wanna stay connected to his love for me. And I wanna know his voice for me. I, I, I practice fasting, not because it's commanded that I do so, but because I wanna keep my heart in a place of dependence on God and not looking for comfort in the things of this world. And I practice spiritual, I practice the spiritual discipline of tithing because it, it keeps me, my heart in, a, in postured properly before God. So as to say, God, all that I am, and all that I have comes from you. And I wanna live in a way that aligns with that truth. And I wanna put my hope in you that you will continue to provide for my every need. And so church, I, I, I invite you to join me. I think I'll just close with this. I invite you to join me in that journey. Join me in the journey of, of that spiritual discipline and making that a baseline way of stewarding finances and then let God lead all of us to give over and above that as he would so lead. Why don't you pray with me? God, we thank you today for your word. Your, your word is living and active and powerful. And it moves forward to bring truth and to bring freedom in our lives. And so we receive your word today we receive it and we, with surrendered hearts and lives, we say, have your way. 
You have full permission in every part of life. You are Lord. And when you are Lord, that means our response is hands lifted high and surrendered. And so for us in this room, even as we struggle and wrestle, through, even through our own financial challenges and difficulties, I pray our landing place would be, God, you are faithful and true and your word has, is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. And even if it doesn't make sense, I will trust and follow you because what you have is best. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our body all for your glory and your name. We pray, amen. Amen, I wanna invite you to stand with me and uh, we're gonna take this time to respond uh, to the Lord. And um, I, I wanted to stand up here in front of you and just uh, just to kind of call something out. It's, it's really hit me this morning. And that's this, that, you know, this, this series, I think, is aptly named. You, you deserve it all. As we begun uh, the, the series talking about, as Andy mentioned, the, the woman who encountered Jesus and gave up everything for him. And literally saying through her action, you are worthy of all that I have and all that I am. We, we secondly looked at the nature of God as provider, Jehovah Jireh, um, the, the one who, who has all things and created all things. And, um, and we come to him in that way and, and, and trust in his provision. And then today with Andy sharing just the, the biblical uh, basis of, of tithing and, and how we handle finances. And again, we see it throughout the ministry of Jesus uh, and how often he talked about it. And, and I want us to hear, yes, he deserves it all. But I also want us to hear how in each of these messages, even to today, in that looking at the biblical uh, command and the biblical evidence for tithing and giving generously, the, the care of, of God for us as his people. The, the care that he has for us in speaking these things, uh, of wanting our, our heart. Uh, there, there are other passages we didn't even have time to look at, like in, in Luke 12, where Jesus condemns the man who tore down his, his uh, barns to build bigger ones because he was finding and placing his security in what he owned, in his possessions. And the care of Jesus comes and says, don't put your security there. It will fail you. It, it, will, it will rob you of joy in this life. I, I think of Matthew 6 where uh, Jesus is speaking to us uh, about anxiety and about worry in this life because, because we're worrying about what we have or how we're going to provide. And he's calling us to look at God again and to know him as the one who is good and who provides. And so while we're saying he is worthy of it all because he is. He is supreme over all things. He is preeminent. We want to give him first place in our lives. At the same time, we would be remiss not to see the care of the Lord, even in the command to tithe and to, uh, to, to give uh, because of what it tethers us to and the way it strengthens us and the way that it honors him and the way that it gives him all the opportunities that he so desires to 
to, to bless us beyond what we can imagine uh, through, through withholding or holding on to or building up for ourselves. And so, so it is with us as a people that this is what we desire to live by because of the truth of God's word. And as we find ourselves, even as the family of God, walking through a financially difficult place, both as a church family as, as well as many individuals in the room, it, it really provides an opportunity for us to express these things. And so today, part of our place of response as the family is just saying, God, what, how, how am I as a part of this family around the, the, you know, pulling up around the kitchen table saying, what does it look like for me uh, to give? What does it look like for me to operate sacrificially? And, and you know what? I am 100% confident that as the family does that, uh, that the head of the family is going to provide everything that we need. Uh, and that we will be richly blessed as we come together in that way. And God's going to produce a unity and he's going to produce a faith. He's going to produce a testimony um, of, of his faithfulness uh, to each and every single one of us and, and to, this, to this family. And so part of our response today will be to say, hey, the front's open as we always do. If anybody needs to come and just get on their knees and say, God, here I am again. And I want to give myself to you. And there's nothing that I want to withhold. Just like Andy began uh, today, just in this place of surrender, that there's no place in my life, including my finances or resources, that are off limits to you. Uh, but I'm saying, here I am, God. How can I, how can I give? What are you calling me to do? I want to sow into you, into the kingdom. And, uh, and so we're just going to say again that the front's open for you to come. Sometimes we find that it's just, it's powerful to move out of our seats and to move forward into God in, in expressing places of commitment. I also want to go ahead and invite our ministry team to come on forward here. Uh, the, our ministry team will be up here in the front. If you need prayer for anything, please do not leave this room without receiving prayer. We believe that God answers prayer. We believe that the church is called uh, to carry uh, the, the burdens of one another. And, and so I want to in, invite you to, to come and receive prayer, even if it has nothing to do with what we talked about today. Um, we want you to, we want to pray for you, whether it's a, could be a financial thing, could be a relational thing, could be a need for physical healing, whatever the burden is that you might be carrying, we want to invite you to come and respond. And finally, if there are those here today that are on that journey with God, you're asking questions about faith and, and what it looks like to know him and walk with him. We'd love to talk with you today because God's arms are open wide and he's inviting you uh, to come home today. And, and there's an opportunity today for you to, to have a relationship with Jesus. And we'd love to pray with you and talk with you about that. But let's not any one of us leave this place today without responding wholeheartedly to the ways God is initiating with us.